Well, Dennis played last night for us and played a concert in the coffee shop. And I still think he has some of his tapes and CDs left on the table in the back, so you're welcome afterwards to check those out. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 140 and Psalm 141, two psalms that really go together. Maybe you can relate to this prayer. Dear Lord, so far today, God, I've done all right. I've kept my mouth shut. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our speech can be such a source of blessing and instruction and encouragement. At the same time, it can become a flood of careless, destructive words that leave many people in their wake. Solomon, the son of David, was right when he said, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those that love it shall eat its fruit. What kind of fruit comes from your mouth? The words that we say are so weighty, so vital, so important. Think of the words of a judge. Just a few words can send a man to prison for 20 years. Just a few words, different words, can acquit him, set him free. Think of the weight of words of a physician who would tell you, I'm sorry, it's terminal, and send you into deep depression or say, you know, you have a clean bill of health. Must have just been some kind of a nick on the x-ray. The weight of our words. It's estimated that the average person opens his mouth 700 times a day to speak. It would fill 50 pages Wouldn't that be interesting to read at the end of the day? What really we said? In a lifetime, you could produce 3,000 volumes, totaling 1,500,000 pages, just on the words that you share. That's a lot of speech. And we would do well to remember the words of our Lord Jesus who said, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. There were three ministers that went fishing. They decided to get away and to bond, to share, to be accountable with each other. They thought a fishing trip would be the best. They'd be out of their element. They'd be out in the woods, out in the wild. So they got a boat. We're on the lake. They cast their line. And one started saying, Brothers, I think that we should share our hearts. We need to be accountable. In fact, I think we should confess our sins one to another and pray for one another, as the Bible says. And they said, yeah, good. So the first guy shared his heart, talked about his temptations, the sins of his flesh that he needed help in. And uh, the next guy started and told about his struggles and problems. Then there was a long silence. They waited for the third guy to share, but he, did, he didn't say anything. And so they, they pressed him. Come on, it's your turn. We shared our hearts. It's your turn. The guy sort of hung his head and said, Brothers, you're not going to like my problem. I love to gossip. (laughs) 
And I can't wait to get home and tell everybody about you two guys. (laughs) Psalm 140 is a psalm that is called an imprecatory psalm. It is a prayer that God would act on David's behalf against his enemies. The enemies are attacking him, especially verbally. David is feeling what it's like to be around people with bad mouths for a long period of time. Psalm 141 is a follow-up psalm. David turns inward and asks that God would help him not make the same dumb mistakes with his mouth. And so I would divide up this message in two parts because there are two psalms. First, the trouble with the tongue. And secondly, the triumph over our tongue. That's Psalm 141. Look with me at a few verses in Psalm 140. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from the violent men who plan evil in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Keep me, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent men who have purpose to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. I said to the Lord, You are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted." He mentions in verse 2 those who have a sharp tongue. A sharp tongue. Naturalists tell us that the snail has an interesting tongue because it has teeth built into it. In fact, one scientist looking under his microscope estimated that there's about 30,000 little teeth in the tongue of a snail. It's like a secret weapon. He keeps it rolled up in his mouth like a ribbon and can take it out, and it can saw through leaves and stems of a plant. So that little tongue has the power to destroy. In the same way, our tongues can destroy people, relationships, friendships. And for some, this is our biggest problem, our words. It's the problem we've been struggling with for years. Oh, how many relationships we have ruined because of our words that we have shared. Notice this description. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. It's a metaphor of destructive speech. The asp is the Egyptian cobra, one of the most venomous, poisonous snakes in existence. Paul described people this way. Romans 3, he said, Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. All of this speaks of the destructive, injurious capacity of our mouth, of our words. Our words can erode trust, can destroy intimacy in a relationship. And you may work with somebody that has a sharp tongue. You might live with somebody that has a sharp tongue. You might be a person with a sharp tongue. And the truth is, the closer you are to someone the more capacity you have to inflict pain or to be hurt. You see, the closer you are in a relationship with another person, you know that other's hopes, fears, anticipations, likes, dislikes. And you can use it to comfort them or you can use it against them. 
in the heat of an argument, you can bring up some of those fears, some of those deep secrets, and you know what buttons to push. You know really how to hurt that person because there's that relationship that you have built of intimacy with that person. And so respect that comes from constructive speech must be maintained for the relationship to grow. A few years ago on CBS, there was a special, The Karen Carpenter Story. It was a story about uh, her life, her death. She died, many of you know, at 32 years of age. She was uh, part of the group, the Carpenters. Maybe some of you remember that far back. We have to talk in retrospect now when we talk about some of these groups. Um, Karen and Richard Carpenter formed a beautiful singing duet, The Carpenters. She died at 32 years of age from heart failure, but the heart failure was brought on by self-abuse. She had an eating disorder, anorexia nervosa. And part of the CBS special was tracing back when this obsession with weight control began. And they supposed it began when an interviewer interviewing Richard Carpenter talked about Karen, Richard's chubby sister. She overheard it. Hearing herself described as the chubby sister created this obsession with weight control that brought about her death. Oh, how words can sting, can injure, can destroy. The 12th chapter of Proverbs says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. Have you ever met a verbal terminator? Oh, boy, they know how to push the buttons. And whenever you are around them, you just are waiting for some saucy word to spill out of their mouth. The Bible asks, who can bear a broken spirit? When you hear sharp words like, you idiot, you are worthless, you fool. Oh, that that can destroy a person and ruin them for a whole lifetime. And that's why James spends a good chunk of chapter 3 of his book talking about the tongue. Remember James chapter 3? It's the chapter we love to avoid because it's so convicting. We get to it and it sounds like uh, he's speaking directly to us. James says, Out of the same mouth can proceed blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Isn't it amazing that the same tongue that can bless God can curse others? It can change, it kind of morphs on us. There's an ancient fable about the monster called Proteus who could morph, he could change shapes. In one minute he was a tree, the next minute he was a pebble, he was a lamb, he was a lion, he was a serpent, he was a dove. And our tongue can be like that. We bless God and we sing wonderful songs and then we can shred a person's emotions in the parking lot on the way home from church. A sharp tongue. Follow me down to verse 9 of Psalm 140. There's a further description. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Not only a sharp tongue, but evil lips are a problem. Now, this Hebrew term is the term amal, which means toil or wearing. That's what the word evil means. Lips that wear on you. It probably speaks of profanity. You hear this stuff all day long by coworkers or people who surround you and you hear it enough and it wears on you and it tempts you to get into the same vibe to share the same kind of words. There's so much profanity, it's inescapable in this world. It's in many workplaces. It's uh, certainly in many television shows. 
can't even find a movie that doesn't have it. In fact, uh, there's so much of it that we probably don't take notice of it anymore. And we might even recommend the movie to our friends saying, oh, it's fine. They go see it and they go, man, it's filthy. It's everywhere. Listen to a biblical description of an ancient generation and see if it doesn't sound a lot like ours. It's from Proverbs 30. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth. Boy, that sounds contemporary, doesn't it? Back in 1946, not that I would remember from personal experience, but I've seen the movie. A movie was released. It's a Christmas classic. It's put out now every year. We'll probably see it in a few weeks. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. Remember that? Jimmy Stewart? Jimmy Stewart. (laughs) And it's such a classic. In fact, we would say, now there's a clean movie. The good old days, the old shows when life was good and language was clean. Did you know in 1946 it was very controversial? They were censoring some words. They said some of the language has to be deleted. It's foul and offensive to the audience. What were those words? Jerk, lousy, dang, impotent, and garlic eaters. (laughs) The reason we chuckle is because we have gone so far down the pike that we think, what's wrong with those words? When in our country, primetime television in one year releases 22,000, excuse me, 23,566 cases of profanity. Primetime television. There are some people who can't talk without it. There are some people whose minds are like racehorses. They run well in a dirt track. It's all they know. And they use words like damn and hell and they don't think anything. I had somebody come up to me after a message and say, hell of a sermon today. (laughs) What's wrong with that picture? (laughs) I wonder if people who don't use hell and damn so frequently aren't reminding themselves of their own condition and destination. Profanity, unfortunately, is associated with humor. People know it'll get a laugh. In fact, weak-minded people who aren't funny by nature know that if they can spew some foul four-letter word that they'll get a chuckle from somebody else. And so they're so weak, they want the attention so badly that they will say it in order to get a laugh. And it'll get you into trouble, by the way. I remember as a kid, I got my mouth washed out with soap because of profanity. I asked my mom about it this week. I said, Mom, do you remember washing my mouth out with soap? And she thought, oh, once. I said, no, twice. I remember very vividly these instances. Of course, profanity doesn't fit in the life of a Christian, does it? Paul said, let your speech be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how to answer every man. That's the word of a believer. We're we're children of the king. We ought to speak the language of the court. I was traveling on an airplane um, one time, um, a salesman sitting next to Billy Graham. The salesman had a little too much to drink, speaking very freely. And Billy Graham was sitting listening to the vile language he was sharing. And uh, Billy turned to him and said, uh, I hope you'd come. No, he said... uh, I can't help it. I lapse into him from time to time. 
He said, how much do you get paid for all of your swearing? He said, what? I don't get paid nothing for it. I do it for free. Billy Graham said to him, you work cheap. You throw aside your character as a gentleman. You inflict pain on all your friends. You break the Lord's commandments. You endanger your own soul all for nothing. You certainly work too cheap. I don't know what his reaction was to that. Article didn't say. Look down at verse 11. Let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. Slanderous speech. This is inflammatory speech. This is tail-bearing. This is where I spin a story a certain way about you behind your back to somebody else, and it ruins your reputation. It ruins your character. This type of misuse of the tongue could be described this way. I am more deadly than the screaming shell of the cannon. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts. I wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity is pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for the truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget. I seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. Unfortunately, um, gossip is so prevalent, even among God's people, because there are so many ears that want to hear it. There would be so many open mouths if there weren't so many open ears. Solomon said, the words of a tale-bearer are like tasty trifles. What did you say about them? Really? Well, tell me more. Tasty trifles. They excite that perverse side of us. Now, there are, there are times when information is to be shared in confidence. But how can you tell the difference between gossip and news? Well, do you lower your voice or raise it when you tell it? News is, raise your voice, tell us. Get it out, man. But why lower the voice unless you don't want others to hear? Even a slight whisper can change a person's attitude about another person. Did you hear about? Uh, There's already that mode that goes with that. Well, well, tell me. This can't be good. You're lowering your voice. And that's why the Bible says a whisperer can separate the closest of friends. Have you ever had the experience where you already know this person, but then you see him after a week or so, but they're cold to you. You don't know why. They're aloof. They're distant. What's happened? Well, perhaps somebody whispered something to him about you. You weren't there to defend yourself, but a slanderous report has gone out. So let me get real practical. When somebody comes with a whisper, with, a, with an evil report about someone, let me suggest these five questions that you can apply to the person who brings it. Number one, what is your reason for telling me? Why do I need to know? Secondly, where did you get your information? None of this, well, we have very reliable sources. What are those sources? And why would you keep them hidden? Thirdly, have you gone directly to those involved? I find this is one of our biggest problems. We want to tell 30, 40, or 50 close prayer partners before we talk to the person himself or herself. The Bible says I'm to go to the person. I'm to tell the person directly First, 
That's the first step. Fourth question, have you personally checked out all of the facts? You know, facts get distorted unless you mix them with the rest of the facts. Facts can be distorted. Have you personally checked out the facts? And number five, can I quote you on this? A lot will stop right there. As they bring it and they tell you this stuff, hey, uh, can I quote you as a source? Well, I don't, I don't want to be involved. You are involved. And I often will quote the person who brings it. You're thinking, I'm never going to tell him anything. We left something out. Go back to verse 2 of Psalm 140. Something that really is at the, the basis of all this. Verse 1, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men, perverse men, violent. Uh, preserve me from violent men who plan evil in their hearts. This is where the problem begins. The problem with the mouth is a, mouth is a heart problem. Go to the doctor as a kid. He says, Stick out your tongue. You think... My tongue doesn't hurt. I know, but by looking at your tongue, the doctor can tell what's going wrong inside. You can tell a lot about the inside of a person by his mouth. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is simply a gauge of the heart. It expresses verbally who you are inside. It's a gauge. One of uh, the friends of Job, remember the guy who was going through the worst trial of of anybody's life. I mean, he lost his children, lost his health, lost everything. And he has a dialogue with his friends and they're giving him their philosophy on why there's evil in the world and pain and suffering and how Job is a sinner. Finally, Elihu, who's been listening to the conversation, has to speak. This is what he says. I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It's ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Now, there's a spiritual principle there. What's in the heart must eventually be spoken. And so a person who has a grudge will eventually express it in hateful words. A person who has lust in his heart or her heart for someone eventually will express it with crude comments. A person who has love will eventually express it with appropriate comments. That's why, though my mother washed my mouth out with soap, it didn't help because the problem was in the heart. And I just found new ways to express perverseness as I grew up. There was a minister who was out building a fence in the front yard, hammer and nails. He's hammering away. Neighborhood kid stops, sees the pastor uh, hammering, and he just stands to watch. And the minister notices him, thinking he'll move on shortly. The kid doesn't, just is fixed on this minister pounding nails. So after a while, he's thinking, well, I'm kind of flattered that somebody would admire my work so much as to take pointers from me. So he said, son, what are you doing? Just watching to get pointers on how to build a fence? The little kid said, no, I'm waiting to hear what a pastor says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. I want to find out what's inside. One of the best ways to find out what's inside is during a crisis. So the key is stuff the right things inside. If there's anything good, lovely, honest, of good report, said Paul, meditate on these things. Think on these things. Get the right stuff put inside so the right stuff comes out. Let's go now to the next psalm. This is Psalm 141. David shifts gears and 
now prays for himself and his own mouth, not wanting to make the same mistakes as the slanderers, those with the sharp tongue, those with the evil hearts. How many times have you shared something? Have you said something? As soon as you say it, you know you shouldn't have. Oops. It goes out, and you'd love to be able to just grab that word before it gets to the air, stuff it back down your throat, but it's too late. It's out. And now you shift into damage control mode. Well, what I meant is, and you dig yourself deeper when you add more words. We do need help. And Psalm 141 gives us a few hints on how to use our speech constructively. Number one, pray. It makes sense that if you open your mouth 700 times a day to bring out words, if some of those words are directed to God, it can only help. Prayer is a good way to exercise your tongue. That's what Psalm 140, 141 are all about. It's a cry to God. It's a prayer to God. Look uh, down at... um, Psalm 141, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me, give ear to my voice when I cry to you, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Go back to the previous psalm and look at uh, verse 13 of Psalm 140. Surely the righteous will praise your name, the upright will live before you. One of the highest uses of our mouths is worship. Glorifying God, praising Him. In fact, how about this? Next time you feel the tendency to tell the guy he's a jerk, how about stopping and saying, Praise you, Lord. Glory to you, God. Now, it's going to sound weird to them, but picture it. The guy cuts you off or or the guy says something to you, you lousy so-and-so, and you were to even out loud say, Praise the Lord. It's going to drive nuts, first of all. (laughs) Not that that's your motivation, I hope, but just to stop and check that tendency with worship and praise could be so helpful. Paul, in Ephesians 5, said, be filled with the Spirit. It's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself. Isn't that great? The Bible says, go ahead, talk to yourself. Now, some might say, well, it's a sign that you're mentally off. The Bible says it's a good sign. Talk to yourself. Speak to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Fill your day with praise. Now, um, you might hear that and say, well, I'm not a real verbal kind of a person. I don't express myself all that much. I do love the Lord and I worship Him, but I don't like to verbalize my praise. Imagine a husband and wife saying that about each other. I love her. I told her that 30 years ago. I'm a man of my word. That marriage is in trouble if you think that way. Praise must be expressed. Verbal praise to God can help. We have to be careful, however, that our praise isn't superficial because as we mentioned, it's possible to say such sweet things to God and turn around and say rank things to other people. Man sat at the table with his family. Let's hold hands, he said, and give God thanks for this food. They bowed. Flowery prayer. God, thank you from whom all blessings flow for your goodness, your kindness, the provision of this food. Bless the hands that made it. On and on. Blah, blah, blah. Amen. He sat out at the table and he said, the bread isn't fresh. The coffee's bitter. 
The cheese is too sharp. On and on. The little daughter very insightfully said, Daddy, did God hear you when you said grace? He said very confidently, yes, of course. And Daddy, did God hear you when you just complained about the bread and the coffee and the cheese and the food? With less confidence, he said, well, yes. She said, Daddy, which one did God believe? Ooh. (laughs) James said, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Of course, he said these things ought not to be so. What can help? Good use of the tongue. Prayer, worship. Secondly, prayer directed about the tongue. That's what verse 3 is all about. Set a guard, he prays. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. To practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Lord, fill my mouth with worthwhile stuff. And then nudge me when I've said enough. Set a door or set a guard over the door of my lips. Guard my tongue. I think this is a prayer we should probably pray quite a bit. I think this could be a daily prayer. Another prayer David said is, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Now, keep in mind, David was a godly guy. He had his moments and flashes of godliness. Uh, He wrote many wonderful psalms and prayers. And yet, even David struggles with this area and has to pray about it. So do we. Think of it. It takes a child two years to learn how to talk and a lifetime to learn how to keep his mouth shut, to speak at the appropriate times. Imagine having a sentry posted at your mouth. Wouldn't that be great? A little guard. A word's about to go out. Hold it, pal. Where are you going? You're not constructive. You're about to tear somebody down. Back in. The point of this is we can't tame our tongue. Didn't James say that? No man can tame the tongue. Only God can do that. As soon as you say, by your own self-discipline and fortitude, you're going to start saying all the right things, something will happen. Somebody will cut in front of you on the freeway and take your lane and slow down just to make you mad. You can't tame the tongue. You need to ask God's help. Let me give you what I think is a helpful acronym that, that you can use. It's the word THINK. And I think that we should prayerfully prayerfully think about what we're going to say and give our speech to God every day. Think and take each letter. The T in think stands for, is it true? Is what I'm about to say true? Secondly, the H in think, does it help? The I in think, is it inspiring? The N in think, is it necessary? A lot of speech would be cut right on that one. Is it necessary? The K, is it kind? That can help. Basic principle then is a closed mouth gathers no feet. (laughs) Lest we suffer from foot and mouth disease. Oops, shouldn't have said that. Stuck my foot in my mouth. Follow that little acronym. Is it true? Does it help? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Thirdly and finally... A good use of the tongue is righteous rebuke. 
doesn't mean always to give it, but sometimes to get it. Verse 5, let the righteous strike me, said David. It shall be kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Reminds me of something David's son shared. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, said Solomon. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It takes a real friend to come up to you and say, that was inappropriate. I heard what you said to your wife, and we're close enough friends that that, that's not edifying. does Does it help? Did it help David? Did it not help David when Nathan came to him and said, you're busted. You're the man. You've committed adultery. You've killed a man, David, and you're the king. It was that confrontation, it was that rebuke, it was that strike verbally that caused David to change his whole future and attitude in repentance toward God. And it causes growth. You see, you're probably the most wonderful, godly, awesome person when you're alone. But when somebody else is around, a relationship. You know, I remember being single and thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty mature. Man, was I in for a surprise. What happened? I got married. And, and suddenly I, I'm in a relationship with someone who finds out the truth of me. And it comes to the surface and there's that adjustment period and the differences and I really see who I am because there's another person in my life. That's what relationships are all about. It's that close, rubbing, grinding adjustment. We find out who we really are. And it's healthy. It's that kind of accountability that is healthy. A righteous rebuke. And a friend will stab you in the front. An enemy will stab you in the back, will slander you, will say inflammatory gossip about you, but a friend will say it right to your face. If you need it, open, friendly rebuke. You understand the weight of your words, the importance of them, the force behind them? Do you see that your words can either be a balm, B-A-L-M, or a bomb, B-O-M-B? It can soothe or it can destroy. What are your words most like? Soothing? Are they a balm? Or are they a bomb? Do you, are you known for just detonating wherever you go? And the smoke clears, you're still walking away. Soft words sung in a lullaby can put a baby to sleep. Encouraging words can bring out the genius of somebody. Excited words, words of power can cause an army to march. Think of the power of them. Finally, genuine words of repentance Lord, forgive me. Lord, I give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to get to know you personally. I give my life to you. Those genuine words can bring everlasting life. By your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. Father, we ask you to take control of our tongues that we might be known for praise, worship, edification, constructive words. And we ask you, Lord, to help us set a guard and a watch over our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.